CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. She had spent so much time and energy becoming the Marilyn Monroe we know. I really have trouble believing that she committed suicide intentionally. And I had met um, the Attorney General briefly. Uh, so it was good to see a, you know, a smiling, friendly face. <laughs> Welcome to Episode 11 of The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host, Jackie Moran. Last time, we learned how, in the confusing aftermath of Marilyn's death, a host of conspiracy theories sprang up about who might have killed her. But while some were adamant in their belief that Marilyn was silenced by the CIA, or was even the subject of a mafia hit, for others, the evidence points to another, bigger cover-up. They killed him. Bobby ordered it. That's a strong statement, I'm saying, my friend. Could the Attorney General of the United States brother to the man who many consider to be one of America's greatest presidents and tipped to follow him into the White House really be responsible for murder? Robert Kennedy would have been insane to have attempted to physically himself murder Marilyn Monroe. That's just not the way Attorney General would do it. That's just not feasible. In this episode, we're going to see just how the Kennedys might have killed Marilyn Monroe. Our team has had access to secret wiretaps of Marilyn's home and have tracked down key witnesses and unearthed long-lost evidence. And most crucially, we're going to address the three most important factors in any homicide investigation, means, motive, and opportunity. Of all those involved in Marilyn's out-of-control personal life in August 1962, Jack and Bobby Kennedy certainly had the most to lose. Both of the Kennedys had broken up with her. She'd been involved with first Jack and then Bobby, and they weren't nice about breaking up with her. So she was really mad about that the 24 hours before her death. We know that she was ranting and raving at her house the day that she died about what the Kennedys had done. She was going public with them. You know, how, how is a Catholic president going to be reelected? How is Robert Kennedy going to move up. He thought he was going to be the next president. And he probably would have been if everything went well. You know, that, that was the plan to the father. The father put Bobby in there because everybody knew John was a playboy. Remember, this is 
So the idea that presidents are having public affairs, it's not like Donald Trump and Stormy Daniels. This was, if you're going to be the president of the United States, you are going to be on the straight and narrow. Kennedy was not on the straight and narrow. And Marilyn Monroe could prove that Jack Kennedy was having an affair with her. On the weekend that she died, Marilyn's affairs with both brothers had finally come to a messy end. John F. Kennedy had finished it after her outrageous performance at his Madison Square Garden birthday celebration. Now Bobby, with whom she had fallen headlong in love, had also told her that they had no future together. Marilyn was furious and struck back. Had she told everything she was threatening to do, she would have brought down many of the Kennedys and their own ambitions for presidencies. It was all a system waiting to crash. Marilyn was very dangerous, a huge threat to the power structure. That was a big mistake. She should not have done that. I think Marilyn Monroe was just at that point tired of being used, and she was in love with Bobby Kennedy, more so than John F. Kennedy. Poor Marilyn found herself up to her eyeballs. And really, her lack of stability at the time, imagine threatening to bring down so many powerful people. I think at that point, she just was so angry. She felt like she was being used that she told them, I'm going to go to the news tomorrow and tell them everything. But it wasn't just the threat to expose their affairs that alarmed the Kennedy clan. Marilyn and Bobby were also harboring another secret one which had the potential to ruin his political ambitions forever. Her personal life was in a state of confusion, perhaps even collapse. Here's entertainment journalist Charles Casillo. There is, I don't know if you want to call it a rumor or a story or a possibility, that Marilyn did get pregnant with Robert Kennedy. There is a record of her checking into the hospital. And I talked to people who were around her, like there's a man named Michael Selzman. He was one of her PR people, and he emphatically told me that she had an abortion and that they knew that it was Bobby Kennedy's. That was 1962, summer of 1962, when everything was coming down on her, when it was all, everything was closing in on her, fired from the film, Bobby distancing himself, possibly pregnant. Marilyn becoming pregnant with the married Bobby Kennedy would have been a huge scandal. But if it were to get out that they had aborted that baby, it would have been the end of the attorney general's career as well as the reputation of the whole Kennedy family. Why? Abortion was illegal in 1962. Do the process of elimination yourself. Who would kill Marilyn Monroe? Who had something to gain? Bobby Kennedy, only Bobby Kennedy. And he did it. As we have already heard, on Marilyn's last day alive, she saw housekeeper Eunice Murray, publicist Pat Newcomb, and psychiatrist Dr. Ralph Greenson. But according to wiretap evidence collected by private eye Fred Otash, who was bugging Marilyn's house for the mafia, she had another, more discreet visitor that day. There is evidence that Bobby was in Beverly Hills at the time she died. Officially, Bobby Kennedy was in San Francisco. But while there, he took a phone call from Peter Lawford, who, as well as being connected to Marilyn through Frank Sinatra, was also married to Bobby and Jack's sister, Patricia. Lawford convinced the attorney general 
how important it was to fly to Los Angeles almost immediately as a means of bringing Marilyn under control. Bobby Kennedy was sent there to tell Marilyn Monroe that he's breaking off the affair with her and not to call the president up in Washington, D.C. and break all relations off with the Kennedy family. If he did come, he flew in, confronted her at her home in the afternoon before the psychiatrist came. Apparently, in the beginning, their reunion went smoothly. In a recording, Bobby could be heard saying that he still loved her, but a relationship could not possibly continue to go on. Partly because J. Edgar Hoover was onto them, Jimmy Hoffa was onto them, and God knows what other crime figures and snoops were onto them, too. Bobby's concern was that it could have ruined Jack Kennedy's presidential chances, and it could also destroy his own marriage. For Marilyn, however, things weren't quite so black and white. She was in love with Bobby, and she felt betrayed and used by both brothers. Marilyn got upset because Bobby Kennedy, at the time that he was romancing Marilyn Monroe, promised to marry her, and he was going to leave Ethel. Bobby said that he could never leave Ethel. He said that he had his family and his many children to think of, and that he needed a good father, and that he loved them. He begged her to understand. On Otash's tapes, Bobby's voice was more difficult to hear at this point, but whereas he was speaking softly, her voice became increasingly strident. The girl who had fought so hard to escape the abuse of her childhood, and then the casting couch culture of 1950s Hollywood, to become an icon in her own right, now saw that to Bobby and Jack Kennedy, she was still just another plaything. A girl to be enjoyed and then cast aside. She was furious. Marilyn demanded that he leave his wife immediately, not tomorrow, but now, not some next year, but now. She wanted it today, swearing loudly and stridently. He begged her to be reasonable, and she responded, who do you think I am? Do you think I'm a hooker who can be asked and discarded like a piece of meat? She went on to remind him that she was Marilyn Monroe and that she was even more famous than he was. Things became even more heated when Bobby demanded that Marilyn hand over her infamous Red Diary, the journal in which she supposedly recorded details of all of her love affairs, as well as the Kennedy's pillow talk. According to Otash's testimony, he asked her if she had destroyed it. She said, hell no. Bobby wondered about her wisdom, about her attempt, what looked like to blackmail the Attorney General of the United States. He told her she was out of her mind. Marilyn responded that he was the one out of her mind, him and his brother, the president, for getting involved with her in the first place. They started arguing and it escalated. Marilyn grabbed a knife that was on the table because she had some food out. She lunged at Bobby and he cut his hand. It was at this point that Lawford's voice was heard, ordering Marilyn to drop the knife. There was a sound of a scuffle, and apparently one of them, either Bobby or Lawford, wrestled the knife away from her. Lawford yelled for her to get a grip before she burst into hysterical sobbing and no further sounds emerged from her kitchen. Marilyn retreated in tears, and Peter Lawford attempted to take control of the situation. Lawford could be heard making a phone call on her bedroom phone to the psychiatrist, Dr. Greenson warning him that if she indeed went through with his threat to expose everyone, he could kiss his psychiatric career goodbye, that he could end up in prison, and that indeed the Attorney General of the United States knew the law and would certainly probably punish him too. 
As well as her other relationships, Marilyn had been sleeping with Dr. Greenson, on whom she had become increasingly reliant. But caught between his patient and lover on the one hand, and the president and attorney general on the other, Greenson didn't have much choice on which side to take. Dr. Greenson fell in love with Marilyn Monroe, like many people before him, fell under her spell. She became more and more and more and more dependent on him, because that's how Marilyn was. In her quest for a savior, she would find someone that she liked, and she'd bestow on him all this responsibility of taking care of her and all these expectations of what he could do for her. Bobby ordered him to come over right away, telling him that Marilyn was in bad shape, that she was threatening to bring down everyone's house of cards, including his, and suggesting that she be sedated fast. Bobby went on to say something to the effect that all of us are in this dung heap together. Bobby then stormed out the door. Whatever he said to her, if he was there, was part of the reason that she needed to see the psychiatrist for an immediate home visit. After both Bobby and Lawford left, Marilyn could be heard dialing the phone. Apparently, she called the White House, where an operator must have told her that JFK was in Hyannisport. But she was obviously denied access to the number. And then Otash remembered her saying something to the effect of, tell the president that Khrushchev called that she was about to launch a nuclear attack on Washington. Too bad he's out of town. Within hours, Marilyn Monroe would be dead. So the motive was there, but what of opportunity? Fred Otash's wiretaps recorded Bobby Kennedy and Peter Lawford leaving Marilyn after the argument, shortly before Dr. Greenson arrived to calm her down. According to the official version of events, Greenson was her last visitor. After he left around 7.30 p.m., Marilyn retired to her bedroom with the telephone never to emerge again. Others dispute this. There's so many witnesses who said they saw Robert Kennedy there that night. Author The Fabulous Gabriel explains how the wiretaps caught Bobby and Lawford returning to Marilyn's house later that evening. She heard a ruckus going on in the guest cottage of her house. She went there and it was Peter Lawford and it was Bobby Kennedy again. Then it started all over again, a second argument. She wanted to throw them out and she was going to call the police and they wouldn't leave. Then she was drugged. She was in a state of unconsciousness. According to this version of events, housekeeper Eunice Murray did not discover Marilyn's body in the early hours of Sunday morning, but much earlier on Saturday night. She came back later that night to check on Marilyn Monroe. She claims that she saw a light under the threshold of the door. She knocked on the door, but the door was locked. She couldn't get in. So what happened was she ended up calling the ambulance. So the first ambulance supposedly came there and nothing was out of the way. Marilyn Monroe was all right. The neighbors next door had reported seeing an ambulance outside the house at 10 p.m. The story is that the ambulance picked up Marilyn Monroe, but then they were told to bring her body back. And she was still alive when the ambulance arrived at 10 p.m. I believe when Kennedy found out she was still alive, he made the ambulance return. Then after they were getting her color back and everything, Dr. Greenson, her psychiatrist came in and he told them to take the recitator off.
the ambulance was dismissed, Greenson and Lawford would handle things from here. Which brings us to the way she was killed, or in homicide cop speak, the means. How was Marilyn's fatal dose of drugs administered? One theory has them taken by way of an enema. Here's Jerome Sharon. There are all sorts of theories about her death. The only conclusion I can come to is that she might have received an enema. She was seeing a physical therapist, Dr. Ralph Greenston, and during their sessions, she would drink champagne. So you can imagine what kind of psychotherapy it was. But on the day of her death, he gave her an enema, and we don't know what that enema was. And she also took some sleeping pills. I think that it was this enema and an overdose of sleeping pills that killed her. Private detective Becky Altringer believes the method was far simpler. Greenson showed up and shoved a needle in her heart. or it Actually, I don't know if it was the heart. I think it was in the chest. And she died. There is witnesses who claim that when Dr. Greenson shoved the needle in her, that you could hear that it had hit a bone. I mean, that's pretty hard. He was going to give her a hot shot. A hot shot is where they stick the needle in the heart and they're supposed to bring it back to life. I guess it's full of adrenaline. So he pulls out a hot shot needle and he tries to stick it in her to go into the heart. But he couldn't find the right area and he's pressing down and he cracked her ribs. You could hear the rib crack. So he finally gets the needle through to the heart. Two minutes later, she's dead. Did Dr. Greenson, either by means of an enema or a hot shot, kill Marilyn Monroe on the orders of Bobby Kennedy and while supervised by Peter Lawford? Or was he trying to save her? Either way, the most famous woman in the world was dead. They had from 10 p.m. to midnight to kill Marilyn Monroe and then stage her body into her bedroom, making it look like it was suicide. They took her body and they laid it any way that they wanted to, and then they come up with a story. That's why it took them so long to call anyone, is because they had to come up with a story. Becky has spent years investigating Marilyn's death, even securing a rare interview with Marilyn's publicist, Patricia Newcomb, now 89. She is in no doubt that Marilyn did not commit suicide. Based on my conversations with Pat, I think Marilyn Monroe was murdered, and I think Pat Newcomb knew that. I think Eunice Murray knew that, and and Greenson knew that. And the other doctors that were there, and Kennedy, it was all a big setup to kill Marilyn Monroe, but they had to fix it. Bobby Kennedy had the motive, he had the opportunity, and with accomplices Lawford and Greenson, he had the means. The only question remaining in Becky's mind is, was the murder premeditated? Honestly, I don't think they intended to go there to kill Marilyn Monroe. I think they went there to get the evidence that she had. But it ended up not working that way. I think they accidentally had almost killed Marilyn. And then at that point, they had to kill Marilyn. I think that's what Dr. Greenson did when the ambulance drivers were there. As we heard in previous episodes, the official investigation into Marilyn's passing was riddled with errors and incompetence. Samples from Marilyn's autopsy went missing from the L.A. County Coroner's Office. 
phone records and police files that might have contradicted Lawford and Greenson's alibis were lost. Eunice Murray and Pat Newcomb both suddenly departed for extended holidays in Europe and landed comfortable jobs on their return. Orchestrating that kind of cover-up takes some serious influence. At the time, Marilyn was that Chief William Parker of the Los Angeles Police Department was in charge. Uh, Parker was a close friend of the Kennedys, especially Ethel, Bobby Kennedy's wife. He was asked by Ethel to clean up all the evidence and make it so that all the evidence would disappear. And Parker's motivation? The chief was obligated to Ethel because in 1961 at a justice Christmas party, Ethel put a note in the department suggesting Box endorsing Chief Parker for the position to be the FBI replacing J. Edna Hoover. So everybody had somewhat of an agenda here. Parker was to die of a heart attack in 1966. J. Edgar Hoover, whose own wiretaps of Marilyn's house also mysteriously disappeared, was to remain as director of the FBI until his own death in 1972, also outliving his arch enemy, Bobby Kennedy. All that remained was the man who administered the fatal dose. Becky Altringer's investigations led her to an archive at the University of California. I found out that there was these boxes, that there was all these different files that were at UCLA, and it was all from Dr. Greenson. I went down to the university in the archives, and I requested all the boxes. They only gave me a few of them. I went through four boxes. The other boxes were sealed, and they were sealed until January 1st, 2039. The boxes she could access made for interesting reading. Dr. Greenson had all of these books, <laughs> even books that said Dr. Greenson gave her the death needle. He had a lot of letters in there, people blaming him for Meryl Monroe's death, people telling him to put a gun to his head and shoot himself. Everything, and I mean everything in these boxes had to do with Meryl Monroe. No matter whether it was a book, or it was a magazine, everything. Did Dr. Greenson end his days consumed by guilt? So much so that he collected a hoard of evidence that actually incriminated him in the murder? And just what secrets did he stash that are so explosive that they have to stay sealed until 77 years after Marilyn's death, which will be 2039? I tried everything I could to look at those folders. I even threatened to go to court and everything else, they just wouldn't let me. And I didn't understand why they would be sealed. Let's say I hope I'm finding happiness. Next time in the final episode of The Killing of Marilyn Monroe, The Search for Justice. Joe DiMaggio blamed the Kennedys for Marilyn's ruin and death. Joe hated the Kennedys so that when Bobby was running for the Senate and visited Yankee Stadium and went to see all the baseball players, Joe would not shake his hand and turned away from him. As of today, Monroe's death stands as a cold case. Now I feel that the case should be reopened and the real truth should be known. That triangle changed American history because of the assassination of a president, 
because of the assassination of a presidential candidate and because of the murder of a movie star that knew the intimate secrets, both Bobby and Jack. If they really want to find out what's going on if she was actually murdered by the doctor, they should exhume the body and see if the rib is cracked. The Killing of Marilyn Monroe is hosted by me, Jackie Moran. Executive produced by Dylan Howard and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is produced by Carrie Budge and written by Dominic Utten. Reporting by Doug Montero. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada. Scoring by Benstown. There is so much more to this story and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to The Killing of Marilyn Monroe wherever you get podcasts.